Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and I'm thrilled to have another good friend and industry colleague on the line with me here today, uh, this time calling from New Zealand, although normally based in China, Mr. Sam Lee, the head of international business uh, for business strategy at Sports. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Hi, Marcus. Happy to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so let me just give a quick uh, idea for our listeners to uh, your illustrious career, how you started, um, and where then we get into where you're now. So uh, Sam has been uh, a graduate of UCLA and the University of Michigan Law School, so he is a lawyer, so I'll be very careful what I'm saying here. Uh, and then he spent his early career really in, in different uh, law firms, as you would coming out of law school. Um, but where it gets interesting, and we'll touch on that a bit later, is uh, 2012, you ended up with the NBA um, and then uh, spending several years with them. Um, and now for the last five years, you've been with Cena Sports uh, as the head of international business strategy. I know you're a well-known speaker. You've been on many uh, other podcasts as well as also, uh, you know, on, on uh, conferences around the world. I've seen you speak, so uh, I'm looking forward to dig deeper into it and really getting into the world of, uh, of Chinese social media, uh, what is Cena Sports doing, um, and of course, what's the mother company doing. So uh, let's get started there. Um, but before that, and, and because we are, you are from China and, and, you know, we all know what's happening currently around the world, let's have a quick, uh, you know, just uh, give me a sense of what you know, what you see is happening on the ground in China right now and, and uh, what the rest of the world might be able to expect. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I actually, as we planned it, my family and I um, came out to New Zealand because my wife is from here and the in-laws live here. So uh, before Chinese New Year, three days before, uh, I got on a flight from Beijing to, to come here. And, right. you know, that morning was literally the first day that I started seeing people wearing masks around right. Beijing. Mm. Uh, so it's been a, a bit surreal. Uh, you know, I packed summer clothes for a two-week holiday here in, in New Zealand and I've been here ever since uh, <laughs> and uh, you know and, and, and uh, of course everyone saw what happened in China in the last uh, few months which has been pretty terrible and now the, the rest of the world is going through that um, so I would say that China in terms of you know the curve is a few months ahead of everyone else yes, uh, sure. so now the good news is that it is slowly recovering um, that you know you're not seeing any new infections anymore so you know all the industries are slowly getting back on its feet uh, so from our perspective you know in terms of Cena sports and Cena uh, you know we're definitely gearing up uh, for a big second half uh, you know people are not quite back in the office just yet I mean, we're, we're, we're doing rotations and doing it very slowly uh, the, the, the government has been very cautious about you know, bringing people back you know, a little bit at a time. Mm. Um, but, you know, we are looking and, and, and we'll talk about what Cena Sports does later on. But one of the things that we do is um, uh, hosting our own sporting events. Yeah. Uh, last year, we had our basketball tournament that was in over 185 cities. Yeah. So, of course, that's definitely affected. Yeah. Um, so we are looking to, you know, push that back. And now we're working with a, re, uh, a rescheduled, uh, uh, you know, event uh, calendar. Um, we're talking to local governments about the relevant permits, about when they will be allowing everyone to, you know, host big, big scale events. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of the status right now. I mean, it's sort of the, um, you know, the bright spot um, that in the world where, you know, hopefully in a couple of months, 
uh, the rest of the world will be experiencing the, the, the revival as well. Yeah, no, it's, and yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, we all follow it, of course. And, and the, the part we'll dig into more deeper is that, I mean, as much as Sino Sports is as much of a tech and digital company as anyone out there, um, you are, in some parts of your sports business, are very off offline, right? You are a big events business running tons of events with, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people participating. So that's a very, very different challenge. Uh, um, and I'll, I will do, we'll talk a bit about it a bit more later. Um, now, getting into more um, the normal flow here, uh, one thing I'd always love to uh, hear from my uh, 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 folks on the other side here is how uh, how did you get into the industry? You know, being a lawyer, uh, was it always an aim to be in sports or, you know, did you just stumble into it? How, how, how did it work? Yeah, you know, so I, I grew up in the States um, and, uh, you know, I loved sports when I was a kid. Um, I actually loved reading legal novels. Uh, so I actually <laughs> okay. really wanted to be an attorney. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, and as, uh, you know, during my teenage and college years, I think looking around and uh, delving deeper into the sports industry, you see a lot of very prominent executives. Uh, David Stern, for example, from the NBA. Yeah. Um, you know, Gary Bettman from the NHL. And then in the entertainment industry as well, you see a lot of attorneys uh, who are in those industries. So there is a sort of well-trodden path in the States, especially mm -hmm. Uh, for attorneys to move into, you know, uh, the business side right. um, as sports industries, in, I mean, as sports companies, mm. um, as well as entertainment companies. So that's, um, that was so a you, path. So you had a bit of an eye for it. It wasn't just by yeah. accident you landed there, right? Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. I mean, I think, I think, you know, everyone that goes to law school at least has some idea of what they want to do. Uh, and, and for me, that was probably the remote idea that, hey, I want to be in sports or entertainment. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I went to UCLA for undergrad, so I started my career actually in LA uh, after after law school, and uh, and was really looking to get into either entertainment or, or sports there. But yeah. you know, both both of those industries, as as we know now, that you know they're they're pretty small and it's pretty difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, and uh, so so it does require some luck, I would say. And uh, and I guess my one of my lucky breaks came in the form that. Uh, right before 2008, um, I wanted to kind of, you know, leave L.A. and, and, and see the world a little bit. Uh, so I interviewed with some firms, uh, some law firms in Beijing and in Hong Kong uh, just to, you know, go, go to the east and kind of, you know, go back to my roots almost. Mm. Uh, my parents are Chinese. Um, and, uh, and, and one of the firms I interviewed at was the outside counsel for the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, and I met right. the partner there that was very interesting. And, uh, and when I flew back to L.A., I actually met with the, uh, you know, the L.A. based partners who are working with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, and eventually I, I, I didn't go to that firm. <laughs> so right before the 2008 Olympics, they were offering a lot of Olympics work, which I was really interested in. Uh, but ended up at a, a New York law firm called Scanlon Arps. Uh, I was there for a while, and then you know, ultimately, when uh, a call came from a headhunter about a position at NBA, um, and I said, "Well, who's who am I going to be reporting to? Who's the general counsel?" And it turned out to be that partner that had interviewed me about the Olympic uh, job. Right. And uh, and so you know, so it, it didn't take much convincing when I went in for the interview that I was very much interested in sports. I very much wanted to do sports. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of a, a lucky break for me. And, and um, where did you so start? Yeah. Was the was it in New York with the MBA or which which part of the world? So I started in China in the Beijing office. All right. Um, and uh, but everyone, you know, at at, at that level, everyone uh, received kind of a, what we call back then executive one on one, which is a 
full week of uh, full immersive uh, program in New York where you get to meet everyone. So that was the first time I met David Stern mm. and Adam Silver. Um, and then you meet all the departments and, and, and all of that. So it's, it was, you know, quite, quite a good experience. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of my, so you grew uh, up route in, in, the, in, you, sorry, just to jump in for a second, you grew up in the U S right? Um, yes. Right. Okay. In, uh, which part of the world, uh, which part of the U S in, uh, in near San Francisco, so in Cupertino, California. So Bay Area. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, but you are, you speak Chinese because that's your, uh, your, your family's, uh, language or, or yeah. did you have to learn it actually when you went to the China? <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I'm still learning. Uh, I think when I when I first went, um, it was pretty bad uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of speaking, especially. I think uh, you know, growing up, you know, in, in California, you're trying to. I think all the boys are trying to be cool, and and, and no one wants to speak a foreign tongue. So, uh, so yeah. So I think, but in, you know, now I've been there for ten years. Uh, so hopefully, my my speaking has improved somewhat. Uh, my reading and writing, I've, I've had it since I was a kid, so um, okay. never, never really lost that. And the funny story is um, when I was in high school and college, um, I wanted to learn – I wanted to read about uh, European football or soccer, right, right. And, yep. uh, and, and Chinese soccer to a certain extent. And at that time in the States, there was no coverage whatsoever. Um, right. I remember you know, all, the, all the soccer uh, games on TV, they were all on the Spanish channels. Uh, <laughs> so my high school language elective was actually Spanish, so right. I can like, understand a little bit <laughs> what the commentators are saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all the newspapers, they were, you know, I, I read like, the Taiwanese newspaper, just a sports section. Uh, I remember like, looking online, and, and that's just kind of when the internet was, was coming around, and right. I actually discovered seeing a sports. Um, yeah, right. And so I actually kept up my Chinese a little bit due to seeing the scores. Uh, so it's kind of funny in the, in the full circle coming around uh, and working that, there now. That's a great story, yeah, and, and a great segue into into our conversation about Cena. And but before we get into the sports part, because there's really only one, probably a reasonably small piece of the puzzle. Cena is a much bigger company, um, and obviously has very very large social media platforms. Uh, give us a bit of a sort of the, the the basic rundown. You know how it works, and you know, what's Weibo, and, and all the other stuff, and maybe compare it to uh, the equivalents in the so the West world which people can relate to sure so uh yeah so so we do have two companies uh we have cena Corp, uh, corporation and then we have weibo uh cena as i alluded to earlier was started uh, back in the uh before you know during the dot-com era so 1997 i believe um and uh, it's been around for more than 20 years we just celebrated mm. our 20-year anniversary um and uh it's 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 a portal it started off as a portal so similar to yahoo and uh, mm-hmm. you could say that the Cena Sports channel is similar to Yahoo Sports, right? right? So we provided editorial. We were the first uh, Chinese digital publication to be at the Olympics reporting, the first at the World Cup reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been around for a long time uh, from a media perspective. Right. Um, and uh, about 10 years ago, I, I think, more, a little more than 10 years ago, we created Weibo. Um, and uh, it was you know, kind of looking to the West, and that's when Twitter uh, came onto the scene. So it was very much at that time a uh, clone, if you will, of Twitter. Okay. Um, and Weibo actually, it just means, Wei means micro and Bo means a blog. So it's literally micro blog. Um, and so that just means that, you know, you're writing, a, you're writing short messages. And that's mm-hmm. what Twitter is. Yep. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you look at Yahoo and Yahoo Sports, uh, you know, every, they, everyone has evolved on from just being a media platform. And so have we. 
so Sina now is, like you mentioned, a big corporation with uh, different sub-entities underneath, you know, different channels like sports and finance and news and entertainment. Mm. Um, and Weibo now is a separately listed NASDAQ listed company um, that is, you know, the biggest open social media platform in China. Right. Uh, you know, we have over 400 million monthly active users, over 200 million uh, daily active users. Um, and we're akin to a, uh, you know, we morphed kind of into a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, bland, if you will, right. uh, where, you know, if you if you scroll through the app, it looks more like Facebook um, than it does Twitter. Um, if you look through some of the functions, it's a little more Instagram like. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a, 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 hybrid. a hybrid of all of those. Um, and so in the in the China social media ecosystem, I mean, we we are the kind of the one where you know it's more for athletes and brands and news outlets to reach out to a massive amount of people. Mm. The whole site is searchable; everything is open, right? Yeah. Uh, we have WeChat. I'm sure you guys have heard of. It's from Tencent. Yeah. It's yeah. more of a closed platform. Uh, it's it's kind of like WhatsApp on high uh, on, on steroids. Yeah. Uh, so you, <laughs> obviously you can do messaging. Uh, but there is a moments, which is kind of a Facebook feed type uh, 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 yeah. feature where Correct. you know it's more for your friends to see you know private information that you're yeah. posting, private content that you're posting, yeah. and then yeah. payment also solutions, you can use right? It, uh, yeah, that's the main yeah, thing. Right? WeChat yeah, is... and also you can use it to hail a cab, you know, buy airline ticket and pay Correct. people and and all that. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's a whole suite of other. Uh, function so it's you know that's that's definitely uh, the most used program or app in in China. So who uh, it's Sina, it I mean Sina, Sina, sorry, Sina ha, clearly has its own niche. I mean, who would be let's say the biggest competitor to Sina as a, as a group? Who would you know Tencent is really a bit different, right? So who who would be who would you guys consider who's like the guys you're competing with? Um, from I mean from the Weibo world, I mean we're, we're really just competing against um, anyone that is you know trying to take people's eyeballs, mm. right? I mean that's uh, you know it's any any sort of so obviously now uh, in the West it's called TikTok in in, in, in China it's called Douyin, mm. uh, which is a very very popular short video app, right. uh, and people spend hours and hours on it, right? So <laughs> similar to them, I mean our business model is mostly advertising driven. Uh, and the advertising uh, revenue comes from the fact that we have a very large traffic. Mm. Yep. Uh, so anyone who is, you know, uh, trying to get a hold of that traffic is sort of our competitor. I mean, Good. in terms of Fair direct enough. competitor, it's, it's a little bit different. Like I mentioned, that, you know, we're kind of a hybrid of Facebook, Instagram and Twitter uh, because there's no one else that's really doing what we're doing. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of where you know it's it, we, we do have an advantage, right? So yeah. even though, for example, an influencer might be very very popular on TikTok or on Douyin, um, he still needs a place where he can do more than you know just a live session or just yeah. a quick video. He still yeah. needs to, uh, especially for public figures, you still need ways to other ways uh, to reach out to the public. So yeah. if you need to send a message, if you want to do polls, if you want to do you know other types of information. Uh, Weibo is still kind of the place yeah. to be, and, and that's that's a great segue now in the in the scene of sports because clearly now everyone understands the big picture ecosystem behind it, and that the company then went into sports um, by having and leveraging, of course, that huge audience base which you have, and then feeding the masses with sports content and other things is is a is really like a no brainer. Um, now, tell me, talk me a bit through how it started there again, um, as well as I'd be curious, did Sina, if I at least 
recall, there were times that where you guys bought some rights as well, um, but obviously right now the strategy is a bit different. So maybe let's let's start there. Sure. Um, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, we started off as a media channel, and in the mid 2000s, we started uh, buying a lot of media rights, uh, and we started broadcasting live uh, sporting events. Um, mm. uh, you know, we had NBA, EPL, Champions League. Correct. You, know, you yeah, name I it. Like that. it's literally every all of the rights. Um, and uh, you know, actually, it's right around the time I joined, about five years ago, that we started shifting away from that. Uh, you know, one is due to necessity and two is due to our own choice. Uh, right. Necessity in the sense that the rice fees went through the roof in China mm. at that point. <laughs> yes. uh, there were a, a couple of newcomers that, um, you know, really bid up the rights uh, for everything. Yeah, um, I remember and, that. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the good thing about being a newcomer is that, you know, you're not uh, publicly listed. You know, you have uh, kind of money to burn, if you will. Um, and, you know, you're able to acquire. I mean, the reason that you will want to acquire rice is to acquire a new set of users or fans very Absolutely. quickly. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and the business model is, well, that's step one. Step two is to then monetize off of those users. Yep. Um, but the history of Cena Sports, uh, one of the things that we've struggled with you know, in the last uh, 10 years probably um, is the fact that it's difficult to monetize off mm. of sports fans, uh, especially in China. Right. I mean, we when we first started, a lot of the games were free. And so we were basically uh, only looking at advertising as yep. a source of revenue. We weren't looking at a B2C model. Yep. Um, so after a while, then the, the you've cultivated that 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 uh, behavior, that habit into fans where they don't pay for anything. Yep. Right. So Correct. you're really you're really just standing on one leg of the advertising revenue without the B2C subscription revenue, mm -hmm. which is very difficult anywhere in the world uh, to, to try to turn a profit. So when these startups, you know, when they when they came into the market, um, you know, we we, we, we looked at the, the, the rice fees and the, the increase in the rice fees. And we just thought that, I mean, we, we, basically it was not uh, it was not possible to be to be profitable from a P&L standpoint, mm -hmm. um, especially since we're a public listed company. Right. So yep. every quarter we have to report and ask at the fact that I spent you know, $300 million on, on some rice fee that doesn't return $300 million. Yep. Um, so that is a, that was a, that's a big issue. I, I think it's a um, great, so let me, sorry, I just wanted to jump in for a second here. Um, I think they love listening to you on, on, uh, on this because this is, again, you know, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, what happened in China with the virus as a precursor for some other, the rest of the world. Well, to some degree, exactly what, what, what happened here with Cena as well, where initially everyone believes buying rights, building platforms, and now it's, of course, OT. T, you know, previously was a little different maybe when, when they first started uh, and hoping that automatically, you know, you can put, create a subscription model and, and advertising will come in and all the stuff will work so well. It's pretty clear it doesn't, especially when rights fees just escalate, right? And the, the crazy times of Lure TV and others jumping in there and throwing money around like crazy. I, I, we sold some to them as well, which is all good, but uh, uh, we didn't get paid for everything um, like many others. Uh, but it's, it's, again, it's a great learning and, and I think it's a sort of warning which I've been sending out for a while now saying OTT, you know, is, yes, as a product, as a platform makes complete sense, but don't expect automatically everyone to start saying, yes, just charge me for it and it's fine just because they're used to doing that on a, you know, it's called traditional pay TV platform, right? So there is still, you know, there's a lot of it in China, I think, you know, is again, was a, is, in some sense, it was a bit ahead of that curve, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I think, you know, having heard from uh, our NBA history and, and the EPL and some other folks, I mean, I think throughout history, I mean, this has happened, 
uh, around the world more than once, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a story that keeps r- getting written in different versions uh, everywhere. I mean, it's, it, right. it it is a hard business to be in. Um, I think it's uh, you know it's one where you, you can you can be profitable, you can be successful, um, but I think you have to be pretty careful with what you're doing uh, in terms of the rights because it's it's you know I think the first thing that um, I learned at the MBA was my boss was telling me that. You know, rice fees is like sand. The second that you buy it, it starts slipping through your hands. And <laughs> at the end of the day, you don't have anything left. That's and, a good and that's analogy. very much true because, you know, if you do a five-year deal and in the first year, you're, you, you can say, you can justify and you say, hey, I'm gearing up. You know, I, 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 I'm trying to reach out to potential advertisers. I'm trying to build a subscriber base. Um, but, you know, year one, I take a $30 million loss. Then, hey, year two, you, you better make back $60 million. Right. You want to make that back. And and that's very, very difficult. And, bef- and, 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 you know, a lot of these deals are, you know, pretty short term, three years, five years and five years, I consider pretty short term in this business. Yep. And if you look at, you know, if you do a three year deal and you're down 30 million dollars in your first year, it's almost impossible to come back and, 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 and to make up, you know, on that on that particular basis. Right. I mean, there's there's different business models and, and different companies have different ways of you know, of, of, of creating profit. It doesn't have to be from one particular deal. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's a different consideration Absolutely. altogether. But, and, and um, I think Cena clearly, a, yeah. And I think Cena mm-hmm. clearly decided that's not the route. That is not the way we want to go. Um, and, and obviously moved into what it is now with Cena sports particularly, which uh, is digital media platform, right? A social media, you know, content creator and, uh, and an offline event operator. That's sort of, you know, what you guys define as your three pillars. Um, let's talk quickly a bit about the three pillars. Um, you know, maybe some of we already touched on. So when when you guys say you know digital media platform, so you still providing information and basic sources of uh, of sports like you did uh, at the very beginning of the company, or define the things a little bit in a in a sort of a couple of short sentences. Yes. So we definitely still have a website and mobile app um, that fans come to for editorial content for, you know, media coverage. And we have some live rides as well. We're focusing a little bit on uh, slightly niche uh, sports in China. So we're doing a lot of golf. We have European tour, we have PGA tour highlights, we have the Masters live Mm -hmm. um, and and, and some other uh, categories as well. So there, I mean, because we already have a very large uh, fan base that, you know, perhaps they used to come to us for, for live sports. Um, but they do value our editorial team, you know, because mm-hmm. they've been, you know, they're one of the most experienced. They've been around for 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, that we, we do have that reputation. Uh, so that's a pretty big source of uh, readership and of uh, user base for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the digital media uh, side. The second pillar is the social media side. So um, on Weibo, uh, we are the largest content creator. So we generate mm-hmm. about 20% of all the sports content on Weibo. Mm-hmm. So what that means is to draw an analogy is if Facebook and ESPN belong to the same company, mm-hmm. uh, then you would see a lot more ESPN branded content on Facebook, right? right? Like right now you do see ESPN branded content, but a lot of that content is, is for ESPN to link back to their own ecosystem to Correct. drive it back to ESPN Plus or the ODT platform or or their website or wherever, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really a, more of a, a, a grandiose, uh, um, you know, brand building exercise, yep. right? But for us, it's a little bit different in the sense that because we're tied to the Weibo platform and we own the Weibo platform, then we're dedicating a lot more resources to be on that platform and to cultivate our own uh, accounts on that platform. So we have over 90 different Weibo accounts that we run and control. 
Uh, and we have over 100 million followers on those accounts. Awesome. Um, so that's really another source for us, um, you know, uh, to to reach fans um, and to provide them with content. So quick, quick, uh, quick know, question so, there on the on the uh, these accounts, are they official accounts as in you have a deal, let's say, with the NBA um, or a um, bit similar to what uh, there's groups in the U.S. have done it where it's more the unofficial account. You know, they, they obviously talk about the teams or the league, um, but it isn't really there's a there's not an official relationship. How does it work with you guys? So we have we have two types of accounts. We have accounts that are um, that are based on on the leagues or on the sport. So we do have Cena NBA. We do have Cena and individual teams within the uh, within NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for soccer, it's the same thing. And then for other verticals, we have just Cena tennis, Cena golf, Cena alpine skiing, Cena outdoors, right? right? Um, and then we also have our own, um, just our own accounts. So there's a, the flagship Cena Sports account, for example. There's a Cena Sports video account, which just gathers different types of video content. Uh, we have a kind of a uh, uh, obscure type, you know, jokingly, whatever, I don't know, joke, joke account, I guess you can call it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the eSports account. So it's a little bit different, but the, the accounts that we have with NBA and with soccer, um, they are unofficial accounts. Right. And if I'm now, let's say I'm a rights holder or, or I'm an agent who's broken this here, um, and I'm setting up an account or I want to work, do a deal with you, do I, how do I make money to, with, together? You share some of the revenue if it's an official NBA account or how does this, how does this sort of commercial structure work? Yeah, so the commercial structure is similar to uh, the Western social media platforms. And basically, you know, you're on there and as a brand, uh, you can find, uh, you you know, you can look to your existing sponsors or existing advertisers uh, to, you know, dedicate some of the resources to social media. Um, And also, of course, you know, through the platform itself uh, to select uh, brands, uh, we do open, you know, rev share with the uh, with the platform itself. Okay, great. There's a so few ways to, to there generate is, There revenue. is money there. It's not just uh, to in, engage with the fan, but there is actual revenue streams. That's uh, you know sort of the key to the puzzle here, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Right, so that's the social media piece, the, the second pillar. And then you have your offline events, which uh, I'd love to talk a bit about because currently in this current time, of course, none of them are happening. But I know uh, you guys are in everything from basketball to football to skiing. At least that's the sort of three or four things I saw. And uh, but what I love most about it, and we'll get into it now, is really that you aren't looking at the let's call it the traditional form of it, right? So in basketball, it's three on three. In football, it's futsal. Um, and in skiing, you have a sort of mass participant um, event there. Um, that again must have been a clear direction that you're not trying to, uh, you know, let's say just be there with 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 a with normal long form of the sports that call it that, um, but you're going into a short form, probably focus on a younger audience, uh, and to some degree also be able to own your own events and own content in a sense. So, you know, t- talk us through a bit uh, the rationale on all this. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, uh, you know the the first thing, and and this pillar started. Uh, we started doing our first offline events in 2015, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it really came from the fact that hey, you know, in terms of live rides, uh, we've lost some of those rides. Now, where can we go and find uh, you know cheap quote unquote uh, live content, right? And 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 also, of course, what you mentioned, which is the ownership of something. Uh, you know, owning our own events and what that might mean. And uh, and it's really been a unique model and it's been a very interesting ride the last five years watching this grow up. 
because at the beginning, you know, I mean, the, 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 the very clear thing to us was that we knew we had a very large fan base. We right. didn't really know how to monetize them from a media perspective. Right. So we thought, well, is there another way that we could leverage that traffic? Um, so that kind of was the original, um, you know, the, and, and, and kind of the foundation of our very unique model is that I can drive traffic uh, into a, uh, an infant event and mm. make it grow very, very quickly. Right. Um, so our uh, three on three basketball, which is the first event that we started in the first year, I think we had eight or 10 stops. Uh, we didn't even have a brand name for it. Right. Uh, our reporters didn't even want to go and cover the events because they didn't <laughs> even know what it was. Um, and we had no sponsors, you know, right. and from then, until now, I mean, we've had sponsors like Lenovo and McDonald's and, and, and MasterCon, which is Pepsi's uh, China subsidiary, mm. um, and a whole range of others. Um, and it's generated a lot of uh, sponsorship revenue for us, right? Yeah. And, and, and uh, the numbers and, and, are huge. Share some numbers because I, I looked them up or, or I saw the, the presentation which you have on the website. And I mean, again, it's about 150 cities, uh, 120,000 players. And that's just the basketball one I think I picked. Uh, you know, right. similar, I think, in, in, in the skiing is 250,000 people with 100 stops. Uh, talk me through this because uh, that, that's just crazy numbers. How do you guys do this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's uh, it's, it's really kind of driven by the revenue, right? Driven by our uh, brand uh, partners who come to us and who ask us for, uh, you know, this type of an exposure. Um, and then in addition, also our our desire to grow this. So in the first year, we had 10 cities for the ba uh, basketball tournament. Second year, I think we have about 25. And then the third year, I think we're up to 80 or 90. And then uh, last year, we did 185. Uh, so, you know, and it's also because of the network that we built within each province in China. So we have local provincial uh, partners who help us host more than one stop. Uh, so, for example, before we had, you know, at one point I remember clearly that we had about 25 to 30 because there are 30 provinces in China. Uh, yeah. So we had about one stop uh, per province. And the local operator who's, who's been with us for a very long time in Sichuan came to us and said, Next year, I want to do the Chengdu stop, which we've already done, but I want to do 10 stops or 15 stops, you know, right. to kind of be a qualifying uh, event for the Chengdu stop. And then right. we said, sure, <laughs> go ahead, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and of course, we support there. them with everything we can. And, and really kind of the, the, again, the engine and the model here is the fact that I can drive traffic to these events. I can highlight this event on Weibo. I can highlight this event on Cena Sports. Um, and so, I mean, in, in this model, you know, through history, there's a few other examples. The most prominent one, the one I always quote is ESPN and X Games, mm, right? So when I was sure, growing absolutely. up in the States, I remember, you know, watching top 10 uh, on ESPN every night. And there's always an X Games highlight, yep. you know, and, and I feel like no one was really watching X Games then. But ESPN was just, you know, yeah. slipping these highlights to absolutely. kind of hook people in. And they can yeah. do it because they, they own that brand, Perfect right? And, and, and that's kind of what we've been doing um, with our own brand is, hey, I'm, I'm going to, you know, push this as much as I can. So, you know, if you go to the Weibo platform and you go to sports um, and then you look at the tabs on top, it, you know, it changes, of course. But most of the time it will be NBA and then it will be, you know, CSL, Chinese Super League, the soccer team league or, or mm. you know, some other soccer thing. And then the third or fourth one will be thrown three basketball. Absolutely. Um, and that's because we own the platform so we can give resources like that. I mean, we put in 
millions of dollars of our own resources of, that we don't have to pay for. I mean, we have to account for them, but we yeah. don't have to pay for them yeah. um, in order to, to help us grow. So, so it's, it. you know, that's really the engine behind the growth. And, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, once, once you get big enough, then, you know, you start getting actual sponsors and broadcasters who are interested in your product um, totally. because of how big you've become. I have a question um, here for you for a second, yes. uh, just to yeah. skew a little bit the conversation. Um, now, the operators on the ground, um, it almost sounds like it's some sort of almost like a franchise system. So it's not your guy yourself as a, you know, having thousands of people running around China to operate these things. But it almost sounds like you find a local partner, someone on the ground there who can run the physical events. Um, and obviously, he makes some money in some sense. And, and you guys share that. Is that uh, correct? Or, or what is the model? Uh, that's roughly the idea. I mean, we do basically have an events team, not thousands of people, uh, but a decent number of people who uh, go to almost all of the events. Mm -hmm. uh, but locally, uh, in terms of the logistics, the organization, you know, getting permits and getting local sponsors and getting, you know, security, all of that, we do have local organizers who help us uh, with that. So it's, it's not really a franchise model in the sense that, we have probably more control than a regular franchisor would. Okay. Okay. So it's um, still and, it's uh, really your events, but uh, you ha you just okay. So you hire guys on the ground to execute stuff, uh, but it's still right. you are fully in charge. And right. It's not uh, right. okay. Got it. All right. Right. And now right. we've you know now now we've gone beyond just mainland China as well. So now we're we are in Hong Kong and Taiwan and and Philippines. Philippines. And we're looking at that. stops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and in each of these places, again, we have local organizers working kind of the same way as our local organizers in China as well. Yeah. No, look, I love it. Uh, let's talk. We talked a bit about basketball now. Just, uh, I mean, obviously, I guess uh, futsal or, or what you're doing there in, in, in football is, is similar, would be just uh, the equivalent. But I, I'll talk about the skiing part. That is so different. I, I don't know how on earth you would do 100 stops. I, don't th I didn't think there are 100 places in China you can ski. Yeah, you how know, does it I work? Didn't know how does that it work? There's 100 ski resorts <laughs> in China either. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think all of these events, it's, it's kind of looking to the three on three basketball. And, and this is something we did and talk about which is the logic behind why three round three basketball right uh -huh. and why yeah, yeah, why yeah, yeah please events. go back to that for a second uh, because the the business model now it's it's once we establish that business model of using our online resources and driving that towards our event i mean once that's established we can quote unquote copy and paste that very easily and create 10 more events because mm -hmm. I, it's the same traffic i can just use it to direct people into a new event Absolutely. Right. So three on three and five on five. I think one of the reasons at that time uh, was not actually because of the Olympics. It was actually because we thought, uh, you know, obviously basketball and soccer are the two biggest sports in China. But we sure. wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, and in terms of because 89 percent of Weibo users are, are on, uh, on their mobile phones. Right. Um, and so it's a very much a mobile phone type society. So yeah. when we look at yeah, basketball and soccer, we, we think about, you know, what's the kind of a miniature version of that where it'll be easier to consume on a phone. Right. So mm. three on three and five on five. Um, you know, the courts are smaller, the, the, therefore the video angles are tighter, uh, yeah. the games are shorter, so you can watch it on your phone in like chunk by sizes, right? Perfect. Makes um, sense. So that's, that's kind of the reason. And I always analogize um, watching an NBA or a full, full basketball game versus a three-on-three -three basketball game to, you know, the fact that the two-hour basketball game is kind of like a, a movie. You're sitting there and you're watching one movie. And it could be mm -hmm. a good movie, but it could be a bad movie. 
right? Yeah. You have one plot, you have one finale. Whereas for three round three, the game is is ten minute game clock. Usually, usually a game takes about twenty minutes, and、mm. so you can sit there for an hour or so, and you can watch three or four games. And each of the games have different characters, different plots, different endings. You can watch buzzer beaters, you know, three four times over.、Mm. Um, so it's that's that's really kind of the excitement about、um, three round three basketball. And you know, I think other people agree, and that's why two years after we started doing it. One day, all of a sudden, is in the Olympics, right?、Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, uh, we had a lot of calls right、too. after that. They're like, "How did you guys foresee this?" And we're like,、nah, <laughs> "I don't know if we foresaw this 100 percent, but we obviously heard that it was possible." Yeah.、Um, and so we, you know,、Smart、we think, we think three on three was just、uh, continuing to get big. Now skiing is different.、Um, skiing is because of obviously the 2022 yeah, Olympics、um, that will be coming to Beijing. Um, and、uh, you know, really, the government initiative that hey, everyone should get behind this and try to create a winter sports industry、yeah. where one really didn't exist before, and that's why neither of、right. us knew that there's a hundred ski resorts in China.、Um, and, and, and by the way, some of them are indoors. That's why.、Um, oh, right. So,、okay. uh, so yeah, so that was a big driver, you know, to look at as a consideration that one, you know, there's government support for this, and then two. Um, there's a, a good chance of potential revenue because you have already a lot of、uh, Chinese brands that have signed up for the 2022 Olympics as sponsors. Yeah.、Sure. Um, so we have seen this before, where、um, two years ago for our five-on-five futsal tournament,、uh, we had a brand called Yadia, and Yadia makes、uh, e-bikes, like motor scooters,、mm-hmm. um, right. and they were a regional sponsor of the FIFA World Cup. Right. Uh, so on all of the Asian na- national team games, you will see the Yadia logo.、Right. Um, and so for them,、um, of course, they're the sponsor of the World Cup, but they need to activate on that sponsorship somehow.、Mm-hmm. And we gave them a tournament that in 25, I think 25 or 30 cities、um, that they could activate. So they、yes. could bring the World、no、Cup、brainer. mascot. They could bring out their e-bikes, and we created a whole set of activation around that for them. So for skiing, it's the same thing. You know, we we saw that experience. So now, you know, we're obviously in talks with almost all of the potential,、uh, all of the sponsors for 2022 Olympics to become our sponsors because now they will be able to reach out and to activate and get fans to see, you know, their sponsorship in all of these ski resorts across China. Right. So I, again, this、uh, uh, we we need to wrap up soon here because I know you have to leave. But、um, I just have a couple of things. So when it comes to skiing,、um, how do you you know? And you have I thought a number two hundred fifty thousand people participating.、Um, so these are just what straightforward tournaments where everyone races down the hill and whoever is the fastest they win. Or, or how, what's the format you guys using there? I get it in basketball and football. That's easy to get see a tournament format there. But how does it work in the in the skiing? Yeah. So yeah. So we basically do alpine skiing.、Uh, you know, we actually have a relationship with the International Ski Federation, where we've been recognized as a、uh, amateur event、mm-hmm. um, that 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 is endorsed by them. We're also endorsed by FIBA in our three-on-three three tournament.、Yeah. Um, and so you know, we're actually the first one for the、uh, International Ski Federation, just because there aren't that many amateur-type events all around the world. Yeah.、Um, and, and 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 basically, we work with. Um, the local skiing clubs. We work with the ski resorts, skiing schools,、um, everyone in the industry、uh, to help us create this this event. You know, from format to athletes to you know partic- uh, to participants to audience.、Um, and、uh, so we we depend a lot on our partners to kind of guide the conversation for us because. You know, if if I didn't know that there were a hundred ski resorts, I wouldn't know how many formats that the ski federation has.、Yeah. Um, so you know, we work very closely with people who know what they're doing,、um, and、uh, you know, and really be able to you know 
using our own resources and our model to amplify. I mean, that's our strength. Our strength is not knowing specific particular sports. But although we do definitely now have, you know, very capable people in every single uh, sporting event that we do, like, for example, in, in, in skiing, we have someone. Uh, who is very knowledgeable and, and, and about the competition and, and, you know, who can tell me everything there is to know about skiing. So yeah. um, so that's kind of, you know, the, the model that we built. Yeah, awesome. Now, on the, um, on the uh, basketball part, if I recall or what I read is at least, uh, it all, you know, and as we t- said earlier, all of these things are amateur focused and, and that's fantastic to get the, the amateurs in it. But I think in, the, in, in basketball, you also have something what I think you call something pro uh, uh, the elite league. The elite league, correct. Yes. Um, and so now what, what level of elite are we talking about? Um, give, give me a sense here. So here, uh, so the elite league basically is an invitation tournament where we find the best FIBA uh, throughout three players from around the world okay. uh, to come and join. And, and they basically get to play against um, the top few teams from our national amateur tournament. Uh, so, I mean, the amateur tournament is, is more semi-professional when you, once you get to the very end. Uh, mm. But, you know, the, the Elite League is kind of a new concept that we created two years ago. And the, the team that won this year, the U.S. team from New York, uh, one of the four team members is now on Team USA uh, right. to participate in the qualifying for the uh, three on three Olympics. Right. So yeah. it's not, you know, so it's, it's definitely very, very high level uh, uh, games and you know, when you watch these games, you're just amazed at the athleticism, and you know, I, I totally understand why it's part of the Olympics now. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I and I love it. I love the feeder system to it. Um, how you guys using your platform to bring people there, and then now create this amazing uh, platform across three big sports. Uh, I think this is awesome. I really love it, and I think uh, if anyone from Facebook or Twitter or those other places are listening to this, I hope they figure out how to how they can actually do the similar things in in their part of the world. Uh, what you guys have done there. I think there's some awesome learning in there. Um, but to wrap it up here, um, I know you also do uh, do a bit of, quite a bit of advisory work uh, for other groups. Um, so I guess uh, your company lets you uh, play around there. Um, maybe just highlight a couple of those things. Uh, I know you work with Spin um, and the guys from Hype, uh, who I know as well, and uh, Chili's, et cetera. Who, who's, who is your favorite one? <laughs> or, or no, maybe wrong. Bad, bad question. Who, who the one you, uh, you, know, <laughs> you, like, uh, you, you really uh, spend more time with or, or uh, you enjoy the most? I mean, I think I enjoy them all. I mean, that's that's why I started doing them. I, I think it's really interesting to be able to, you know, uh, kind of pick the, the founders' brains and, and see, you know, what it is, the, the ideas that they have. And, and it, they're all phenomenal, you know, in terms mm. of just the ambition and the vision that they have is, is really, you know, quite amazing. Uh, and then, you know, Hype is fantastic. I mean, they're based in Israel, their largest uh, sports tech accelerator in the world. And I actually participated in their panel in uh, Taiwan uh, last year, and yeah, you know, just yeah, meeting. Yeah, was almost there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just meeting. You know, meeting all these uh, these young minds who are just so curious about you know how to how, entrepreneurship and sports and tech and you know I just uh, I'm I'm just trying to help them out if possible. You know, and uh, especially now with uh, everyone kind of working remotely, it, I feel like I have a little more time without the commute uh, to be able to, to share, you know, what little knowledge I have and, you know, and relationship uh, in order to help them grow. I think that's it's quite positive. And I feel like every time I, that there's, you know, a, a bit of success, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it alongside with them and I celebrate with them. So it's, uh, it's, it's been really, really interesting and something I really hope to do more of in the future. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I'm starting to do quite a few of these things as well. Uh, uh, and like you said, it's fun. Um, you know, we've been around this industry uh, a long time, and I think we got, we can always add value to it uh, to these uh, young entrepreneurs who have great ideas, but a lot of times le- missing a little bit, the, you know, the bigger picture or, or the guidance uh, of how to take it from a great idea to an actual product and an actual company. So, uh, uh, and I'm certain with your knowledge and and your uh, not just your legal background, but also your knowledge, you know, working in these groups you've worked in, uh, you can be a great source there. So, Sam, thank you very much. Uh, this was awesome. I, I learned a lot. I'm almost certain everyone else will as well. Um, enjoy your time there in New Zealand. Hope you get safely back to China very soon. Uh, and I'm sure we'll catch up again very soon again. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that was fun. Talk to you soon, yeah, buddy. It was. All right, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.